Chag Sameach, everyone. Happy Sukkot. Happy holiday. And I hope you're happy. Before we begin our Torah study tonight, we want to pray together. Would you join me? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshenu b'misvatav, v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Torah, in fact, the whole Tanakh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, and the Brit HaKadoshah, the New Covenant scriptures, agree on something. There is one God. Let's say that. One God. And he reveals himself in different ways. In fact, Torah begins with the declaration that God created the heavens and the earth. Barashit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz. Why don't you say that with me? Or you, I'll say a phrase, you say a phrase. Okay. Barashit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz. That's very good. Next week, as we celebrate Simchat Torah, we will roll the scrolls back from the end of Deuteronomy all the way back to the beginning, to Barashit, to Genesis 1-1. We will read that passage. And we discover something very simple here in, in Genesis 1-1. It says that God created the heavens and the earth, which tells us something that before the universe existed physically and materially, God was. God is eternal, which means he is outside of time and space, but he is also able to enter into our universe, which is what verse 2 tells us about. Now, before we go to verse 2, let's really understand this. God creates the heaven and the earth, so the heavens and the earth, the physical universe here, are separate from God and different from God. You can say it another way. God is outside of the whole physical universe. He preceded it, and he is other than the whole universe. Some people say, well, God is in everything, but I'm not sure God's in the chair, in the metal, in the seats, and all of that. But it does tell us this. In the beginning, God created. Then in verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, was hovering on the face of the waters of the earth. Now that tells us something a little different about God. Verse 1 tells us God is other than the physical world. Verse 2 tells us God enters into the physical world and he moves in the physical world. So now we understand one very important concept about God, that he can be manifesting himself in different ways and yet it's still one God. The God who is other than is also the God who can enter in. That is so foundational. If we don't get that right, we'll miss many other details. So God is completely other than the created world, and yet the Spirit of God we see in verse 2 is working in the created world. Now if we go to Genesis 3, verse 8, oh, some of you will say, it's hard for me to keep up with this. That's why you can go to DL Shalom at Twitter, you can go to the same at at Tumblr, and you'll see these scriptures just lined up in order, give you a little head start. They're also on Facebook, and everywhere we've got any kind of presence, you can find those things. They're posted there to make it easy for you so that you can do study on your own as well as follow up from the, 
from the messages. So Genesis 3.8 says that the Lord God, and it speaks here using different words, describing God, but now introducing the idea that he's Lord. So let's say Lord God. Lord God. So you have God who creates, you have the spirit who's on the face um, of, of the waters moving and, and working in the creation, and then you have the Lord God. Now take, take note of this in, in Genesis 3.8. It tells us that Adam and Eve hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. That's what the text says. Now of course, this can be troubling if you don't understand that God is able to manifest himself with some physicality. So this is yet another face of the Lord because he's, he's showing himself by walking, talking. He has presence, and we learn something. He's somewhere specific. So you could say that the God who created heavens and earth, he's everywhere. The Spirit of God can move over many places, but God in Genesis 3.8 is somewhere, he's somewhere specific. And those are all qualities of God. You see, it's not just that God is, is omnipresent, he can be somewhere specific. Now when God is somewhere specific, does that mean that's the only place in the universe that he exists? No, it doesn't. Because God can be simultaneously in one place and manifesting himself in another way in another place and still be outside of the universe. He can preserve himself in all of these ways and manifest himself in all of these ways. This is part of the teaching of Torah. Now in this case in the garden, we see that God is right there and he's within earshot of Adam and Eve. Now I know that there are some some commentators who, because of their theology, say that, that this is just the language of man, but it doesn't really mean it happened this way. And yet the rest of the, the, rest of the dialogue holds steady with the presentation that God is present, that Adam and Eve hear, that they respond, that they're afraid. In other words, it is a localized presence of God. Do you see that? And he can move with physicality. He makes sounds when he moves. How do we know that? It says they hid themselves from him when they heard him coming. So in these three ways, we see three faces of the Lord. Let me, let me just summarize them so that we can build on this. God, number one, who's completely outside of and other than our created world. That's number one. Number two, God who's spirit, and he enters into the created world, but he remains invisible like wind or breath. In Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. Say that with me. Ruach, which is also the word for wind, and it's the word for breath. Because God, who is spirit, moves like the wind. You see the effect, and he's like the breath that gives life, but he is invisible in himself. And then verse three, or face three, God who's visible and present, God walking and talking, being present with Adam and Eve tells us that God shows a third face to us. He's visible, he's present, and he has some kind of physicality. Now in having a physical presence, all we're saying is that God can enter into the physical universe in a way that we can engage with him. 
He enters into our dimensions. He enters into time and space. He is coming and manifesting himself in a way that makes him visible to us. And we can sense him. Now, when he does that, does that mean that God has fully given up his omnipresence? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that God, when he is locally present, is no longer eternal? No, it doesn't mean that either. You see, God is able to do all of these things, to be present and yet to be omnipresent, to be in time and space and yet be eternal. And that's what makes God unique because the rest of us can't do that. We have some capacity to interact with him and to engage with him, but we can't be two places at once. So I call these the three faces of God because he manifests himself in three different ways. And I believe that Sukkot is a really good time to think about the three faces of God because as we are remembering Sukkot, we're remembering that God called us to live in temporary shabby huts, Sukkot. Leviticus 23, verse 42 is just one of the passages that speaks about Sukkot. And it says we're to build Sukkot, that's the plural, booths or huts, or temporary dwellings, and we're to celebrate for seven days. And it's interesting. You know, most nations, when they want to show how powerful they are, they build glorious buildings that are meant to last for centuries. God, when he wants to show how powerful he is, he says, I want you to build a hut. Build a shack that has a roof that's open in some ways with just the, the branches, the branches on top so you can see the stars through it and the rain can fall through. I want you to know I'm great because I carried you through the wilderness. I took you through the temporariness of those 40 years and you lived in temporary dwellings. Why? So that you would know forever that the world you live in has a temporary quality, and yet I'm with you. That's what he wants us to understand. And it also helps us as we're trying to move forward. If you're a forward-moving person, you can understand that the, the shack you're in right now does not represent your future. That God wants you never to be embarrassed by your current condition because he wants you to keep looking ahead to where he's taking you. Never worry that the best you can do is not very good because God said to all of Israel, that's all you're going to have. What is going to be, you know, your food? No kreplach. Been trying to find kreplach in town. It's not easy to find that in Jacksonville. No corned beef. No hummus. No pita. No, what do you get? Manna, which loosely translated means what is it? Forty years of what is it? You see, culinary Judaism had not even been invented at this point. Or cultural Judaism. And God is bringing a slave nation into freedom by showing them that to be with him means everything. To have stuff is not the same as having God. When you have God, 
it means that your stuff is of secondary importance. So we're to build Sukkot because God made us dwell in Sukkot for 40 years in the wilderness as we were on the journey to the promised land. You know, there's another lesson in Sukkot, and that is sometimes you think that what you've got right now is so good and it's, it's everything when you love what you have, and yet God wants to take you even to somewhere better. And you may grow up thinking, oh, this is it, and God has a view, oh, I've got something even better for you. And for you, this wonderful th situation that you're in is nothing more glorious than a sukkah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 41. Because this is a description in verse 10 of God being present with his people. He says, don't be afraid. Say that with me. Don't be afraid. And here's his explanation. Because I am with you. Don't be discouraged because I am your God. And then he says, I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And the right hand of God is often used as a, as a Hebrew idiom to describe Mashiach, the presence of God. Don't be afraid. Say that with me. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Say that with me. For I am with you. Why not be afraid? because I'm with you. I don't know if any of you can relate to this, if you can remember your childhood, that may be hard for some of you. Some of us are just old enough. But do you ever remember being in a situation where you needed your big brother or your big friend to get you out of trouble? Or to go cause trouble for someone who is causing you trouble? Yeah. <laughs> The Lord says, listen, don't be afraid. Here's the reason, I'm with you. Somebody else may be causing you trouble, but the Lord says, I'm with you. You may think, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this situation? The Lord says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. And if you had that kind of protection with you all the time, it would be hard to be afraid, wouldn't it? Here's the good news. You do have that kind of protection available to you all the time. And the Lord says, Imcha Ani, it's a reversal of the English uh, word order. Ani means I, and Imcha means with you. Imcha Ani, with you am I. In English, it would just be, I am with you. That's what he's saying there. And then let's turn, we're moving around fast, John chapter 20, verse 17. Yeshua is talking to his disciples, and he's saying, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me, Yeshua said, because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But you go and find my brothers and you tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So here you have the Son of God speaking about God the Father. And we see these different faces of God. Now, if you understand this, that Yeshua is Adonai in bodily form, God taking on a human body, 
then you may say, well, how can he ascend to the Father? We'll get to that in a minute. And is this some other God? And the answer is something we talked about at the very beginning. How many gods? One God. How many different ways is God capable of manifesting himself? More than three. I'm just telling you three. Why do I say that? Paul says that. He says that the Holy Spirit works in what? Many ways, right? Say many ways. Many ways. Some people like to say, oh, there are 12 gifts of the Spirit or 12 this or that. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul says many. When I was a kid, I used to love to read Time Life books and the encyclopedias and the dictionary even. I don't know why. Some of you, did you do that too? Did anybody read the dictionary besides me? All right. That's why you like being here. Who else would just read the encyclopedias? You'd open up encyclopedias and just learn. And who had the Time Life series on the earth and science and the solar system and ah, great books. Okay. Now, what does that have to do with where I am? I have no idea. (laughs) And if I could remember, I would be younger than I am right now. Many ways. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many ways God manifests himself. Now, we're talking about three faces of God because there are three distinct faces that God shows that are critically important for us. But God is able to move in many ways and to show himself in many ways. And so we don't want to overlimit it, but we can't get away from the fact that God wants to reveal himself as our Father. And we can't get away from the fact that he wants to reveal himself as the Spirit. And we can't get away from the fact that he wants to reveal himself as the Son as well. So that we can see in these different faces and in how they relate to each other, we can know more about God. God with us. Yeshua is saying, I'm going to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. He's not only the God, he's my God. He's not only my God, he's your God. Yeshua is saying, we belong to him and to each other because of who God really is. Now let's go back to Isaiah. We're skipping around, but there's a rhyme and a reason for all of this. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I like this translation. All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It says the Lord himself. Now, this is interesting because in in the Hebrew where it says the Lord himself, you might be imagining what's the actual Hebrew behind there. Is it uh, this or that Hebrew word? The Hebrew word is actually Adonai, spelled out in uh, explicit ways, which means the Lord. That's all it means. The Lord himself. It says Adonai who? The Lord himself will give you the sign. And then it says that this one, this who is born of a virgin, 
will be called Immanuel, and it's like Imcha'ani, the same issue um, with you, God. God is with you. God with you. Immanuel. El meaning God. And so we're seeing something here that God is giving a sign that will be of importance to us. It will be a child who's born, and that child will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us, because, because of what? We're not exactly sure, other than God is with us. Now, when you go to Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, you'll see that Isaiah 7, 14 is quoted. It's written out again, and then it's explained that Yeshua is the specific fulfillment of this prophecy. And that, that helps us understand something, that Isaiah 7, 14 is a prophecy about the coming of God in bodily form, the coming of Yeshua, the Messiah. Very important prophecy for us to hold on to. Now, we're going to move fast because it's Sukkot. You move fast on Sukkot. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul writing to the Ephesians. Were the Ephesians Jews or non-Jews? They were not Jews. They were non-Jews. And um, he explains to them that they were far away from the covenant, that they were born of another nation, but they had been brought into the commonwealth of Israel, we read later. But he's writing to them, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In this one passage, you see these three faces. God our Father, the Lord Yeshua, the Spirit. One God, three faces of God, and all three are given, Paul is writing, so that. Did you notice? What's the so that? So that you may know him better. You see, if God only showed us one face which is utterly distant, far away, and completely unlike us, perfectly holy, and in no way entering into our world, we would barely know him because he is so utterly different from us. And if he showed himself only as the invisible spirit, we'd only know him by the things he does. But when he comes and he talks with us and he walks with Adam and he he comes down and he eats with Abraham and he visits with the patriarchs he stands beside Moses on Sinai and then calls out to the Lord passing by the mountain why does he do all of this he he takes on human form why so that we may know him better So the son takes on physicality. That's what Isaiah's prophecy is all about. The virgin will conceive a child, and this one will be called Emmanuel, which is a description about him. It's not his name. It's, it's what his nature is, God with us. 
So the son takes on physicality, bodily form, and he has the fullness of God. He is the fullness of God in a human body. Now, let me underline something that's really important. This helps us understand why the son submits to the father. You see, the father is, is God outside of all physicality. The son is God within our physical world manifesting himself in time and space and sometimes even being, as Yeshua was, in a human body. And the son lived within a human body and human bodies experience things through human senses. What are some of the senses that we have? We can see, we can touch, we can hear, we can smell, we can taste, right? So Yeshua could experience all of those things through a human body. But human senses connect us to the world, but they are not utterly reliable. Have you noticed that? And we who are humans, which we are, the person sitting next to you is a human. No zombies in the room. No aliens from other dimensions. Just us. All of us who are humans, we experience the world through human sense, but we can't totally rely on the object information we think we're getting from those human senses. Those senses affect how we think, how we feel, our attitude. And how many of you have discovered that your thoughts are not 100% correct? And your feelings aren't 100% correct? Yeah? And how about even the attitudes aren't 100% correct? How many of you proved that today? Yeah, had to go there. And so imagine God puts himself inside of this, this human body and he's going to experience the world the way you and I do. And this world is deceiving us through the very means by which we experience it. The very parts of us that are capable of experiencing the world are also capable of being misled. And so the, the son in such a body submits to the father who's not in such a body. You know why? To check everything. To verify everything. Why does he submit? Because God without that physicality is not subject to all that distortion. Because he's perfect. He's holy. He's true. He's wise. He knows. He knows all. He understands all. But, but Yeshua inside of that body he was tempted in things, like you and I were tempted. He didn't sin. What was his protection mechanism? The Lord. The Lord consults the Lord. Can you imagine? The Lord consults the Lord. The Lord in a body says, I don't know about this. What do you say? And the Lord says, don't go there. <laughs> and God submits himself in this way and that's why the scripture uses the language of family and of intimacy and of covenant to communicate this picture, father and son. 
Why? Because a son is expected to look to his father for guidance. A father is expected to give good, reliable information, teaching, instruction to his son. So the son submits to the father. He looks to the father and he sees what the father's doing. He listens to what the father's saying. Yeshua said that was his secret, that, that he had secret food. He did the will of the father. He made sure he checked things out. So God in human form submits to God without human form. One God, different faces. Why? Why? So we would know him better. If God were only utterly holy, he would be separate. But he's more than that. God who is separate is also God who is in us. Within us. God who is invisible is also God who makes himself visible. God who is in heaven, who is even outside of the physical universe, is also God who's in our world. Think of it in other terms also, how we are like him. Mankind made in God's image. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man, mankind in our image, according to our likeness. And then the next verse, and so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so this is saying, we bear his image. Now look at the person next to you, you might not think of God when you look at them, but that person bears the image of God. He's like us, we're like him. Now let's go to Colossians 2.9, which shows us the other side. Speaking of Yeshua, Colossians 2.9, it says, For in Yeshua, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. So then we see he is like us, the fullness of God in bodily form. We're like him, he's like us. We have some similarities. Why? So that we can know him better. Sukkot helps us understand God is with us in the shabbiness of this world. This world is shabby. This world is broken. This world, for all of its beauty, is still in trouble. This world, even though it's created by God, will not last. It is not permanent. It will change. Now, the very idea that God could dwell with us that is connected to Yeshua, to the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. The very idea that God could dwell within us, that's connected to Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God in you. Well, this is interesting. You see, you can have the Spirit of God, and you can have the Spirit of God, and you can have the Spirit of God, and there's still enough Spirit of God to go around the room. And guess what? It doesn't stop there. God's spirit is not limited. He can be in you and he can be across the street at the same time. How can God be in more than one place at once? He's God. That's his nature. Well, the very idea that God could be utterly different, utterly holy, but the one in whose image we're made, that's the Father, Abba. And so 
It's the spirit of God in us who calls out to God and, and says, Abba. The spirit of God in you. If you receive the Holy Spirit, you will find that he wants to talk to God through you and calls God Abba. Is God Lord? Yes. Is he creator? Yes. Is he king? Yes. But he's Abba because you're family with him. The Spirit of God, the Son of God, God the Father. One God, three faces. Sukkot teaches us this world is temporary and shabby, but God is with us. And Sukkot teaches us one more thing, that you and I are shabby too. At our best, we're shabby. But even so, we become little sanctuaries, little tabernacles, little places where God can dwell whenever he's living in us and working through us, we become little sanctuaries. You may be shabby, he's with you. This is the beauty and the humility of God. He comes down, he knows what's in your heart and he'll live there anyway. He knows what your house is like. He's He's got mansions, cattle on a thousand hills, all the silver and the gold is his. And he says, how about I live inside of you? That's humility. That's gentleness. And in his dwelling inside of us, we experience something about the presence of God and the goodness of God in this world so that we may know him better. I hope as you're celebrating Sukkot in these next few days that, that you'll pause and take time to fellowship with the Lord and say, Lord, this looks like a shack or a hut or a booth to me, and you're here with me. Thank you, Lord, for being with me. And then I want you to notice one more thing. That God's not only with you, he's with other people too. He may be with people you don't like who don't like you. How do you know that you've made God in your image? Someone once said, it's when you find out that he hates the same people you do, then you made him in your image. <laughs> when you love all the kinds of people God can love, you're reflecting his image. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for having it in your heart to, to reveal yourself to us in all the ways that we need to know you better. Lord, we know you're holy. We know you're good. But we also know that you come to be with us, that you draw close to us and you want us to draw close to you. And we know, Lord, that you want intimacy with us and we surely want it with you too. Thank you for making that intimacy possible through Yeshua. Thank you for the, the offering that, that you've given on our behalf that takes away our sin and reconciles us to you. Thank you for your compassion and your mercy. Let us be instruments of mercy, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? If you're standing by yourself, why don't you move on over? Move it on over. There's still time to move.
<laughs> you don't have to know the people you're moving to. They're nice enough at this point. Yivarechecha Adonai, v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai, p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai, p'navelecha v'yasam lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, Sukkot Sameach.